0: the 2021 season ends for the Houston Outlaws as they lose a close game to the Washington Justice. All that and more on this episode of The Birds of Play. Welcome to the Birds of Play podcast. I am your host, George. I am one of the hosts for the Fun Intended podcast, and this started as my Overwatch League podcast. It was a podcast for me to talk about Overwatch League content without bogging down our main podcast on a regular basis. Unfortunately, as it stands right now, the 2021 season is nearing its end date, As the Grand Finals begin to loom on the horizon, the playoffs are coming up. For the time being, this will still be an Overwatch League podcast until the Overwatch season ends, so hold on to your butts to see what happens in the near future. This week's Overwatch matches determine who gained entry into the playoffs, which will ultimately lead to who gets to go to the Grand Finals. The Houston Outlaws ended their 2021 season run with a loss to the Washington Justice. The Washington Justice are probably best known for being the miracle team last season that went from being at the very bottom of the rankings to earning themselves a spot in the Overwatch League playoffs last year. There was a bit of a meta shift at the zero hour that allowed them to capitalize on their team dynamic and ultimately run amok through the lower rankings of the Overwatch League. They actually got to capitalize on a bit of loopholes, not just the meta shift. They were actually able to build a team, a dream team, out of the leavings of other teams, if that makes sense. Specifically, the Vancouver Titans had a bit of a shift at the last minute where the entire team was let go. And mind you, back then, the Vancouver Titans were a team comparable to the San Francisco Shock. In fact, they were kind of known as their rivals for the North American region. So to have all these players suddenly become free agents, the Washington Justice was able to cobble together this this dream team out of their remnants that allowed them this meteoric rise all the way to the playoffs for last season. And although that state, although that same story doesn't apply for this season, they're set to have a repeat of that whole Cinderella story almost now, mind you, for the twenty twenty one season, the Washington Justice have been a very mid tier team, they don't really have a lot of consistency, but they do have a lot of high quality players, all of which were playing absurdly well this This week as they played against the Houston Outlaws. Now, mind you, the Houston Outlaws have been on a streak of losses recently. And clearly they were hoping to turn that around at the start of this, this, these, uh, these five matches, they were actually doing fairly well. They were more closer to the Houston Outlaws from the beginning of the season than they had ever been. Unfortunately, it's in my humble opinion that they made a few mistakes. They probably utilized the wrong set of players and the wrong play style with the wrong character selection to beat the Washington Justice. But to be fair, it's hard to anticipate that the Washington Justice would have brought their A game to the extent that they did during this matchup. So... In one regard, that's one of the things that went right for them to ultimately win win this whole thing. There's a lot of little nuanced little nuggets that led to this victory that ultimately led them to going to the playoffs. I've made it pretty clear that I'm a big Houston Outlaw fan, and I've been definitely on their their bandwagon for much of the season, especially after their first introductory game where they beat the San Francisco Shock. And they've had a lot of amazing showings for much of the season. And I've been calling them the dark horse for a while. Mostly because on one end, they have the skill set to be one of these top tier teams, but they lack the consistency to get up there. And I think this is fairly clear. It's fairly clear this at this point of the season that they just, They lost a little bit of their spark as things progressed. And on this podcast, I've been talking a lot about the mental game side of these. The mental aspect of sport and how important and influential it is to ultimately being successful. And I definitely feel like this might have been one of the cases here. If anything, through this podcast, I've taken more of a deep dive into the sport mental The the mental side of sport, obviously, but also the other more nuanced, the nuances of the Overwatch League in general. Almost, I've been absorbing a bit more content than I normally would. Now, that content isn't always matches, but that content is like, you know, interviews with the players, watching a lot of shows with Overwatch League commentators, and getting the perspective of what exactly entails high-quality play in this league. And in a lot of regards... I feel that the Houston Outlaws, when they're playing at their best, they're a monster team. I can tell you right now that what the Houston Outlaws are capable of was definitely not present during this Washington Justice game. There was a little bit of hints of of their wonderful mechanical team. Unfortunately, though, it just wasn't there with enough consistency. So what happened exactly? Well... For starters, you had a poor tank matchup. And I'm a big proponent of tank lines and how important they are. And I think in this regard, for them to select Dreamer might have been a bad choice, ultimately, for the whole of the the whole of the match. Mag is, I believe, IBM Watson and some of the commentators were mentioning that he is probably the best Ryan Hart. In the league right now, mostly because not only he's exceptionally mechanically skilled, but he's also like an aggressive Rein. So you combine the high level mechanical skill or knowing when to use your abilities, knowing the timing, knowing when to best capitalize your ability usage with an aggressive playstyle, especially with a character like Reinhardt it makes for a a raid boss style Reinhardt. And what that basically means is that you have a tank who is, well, it's like a raid boss from an MMORPG where it takes a lot of coordinated effort from multiple people to take them down. That being said, if there's anything to also add to that benefit was the support lines of the Washington Justice were actually exceptionally well-equipped to keeping their teammates alive. They didn't have a lot of the sustained heals in the same way that the Houston Outlaws did, but they were able to coordinate well enough to not just keep their Reinhardt alive, but also Assassin alive, who was playing Sombra, which is something else we'll get to later. Bas- basically, the fact that they were using Dreamer instead of Jango, I think, kind of affected them negatively. With Jango, you can play Reinhardt, and you can have that ability... To go head to head, and I and I almost dare I say if they did have that Reinhardt play as opposed to really being focused on playing Winston and Wrecking Ball, I think it probably could have been more to their benefit. But the Houston Allies seem to have been playing a older style of Overwatch, where due to the hero pools, you're playing more of a, a Asia-Pacific version than what... The, the Rush compositions and the the quality, well, <laughs> the compositions that are more familiar to the North American region, which typically favor Reinhardt pretty heavily. And I think because of that, like they didn't really have an answer for when the Washington Justice decided to use Reinhardt. And Mag was playing, one, if he wasn't playing Reinhardt, he was playing Winston. And between those two, pivot points, it allowed them to have a very aggressive front line, which ultimately led them to be able to pressure through and disrupt the Houston Outlaws who were trying to play like a high mobility rotational composition, which just wasn't working. Personally, I think Dreamer is a good is a good tank player, but for the kind of play they needed, they needed a little more aggressive, faster paced tempo, and he wasn't really filling that void too well. And I guess the other big aspect I'll go back into, because I mean, I'm kind of leading into it right now is, is composition. And I think the decision with the Houston outlaws to play this, this ball monkey as their, as their, uh, their main tank and their, their choice to lean into the Zenyatta, this Zenyatta brig composition actually kind of affected them negatively. See, when it comes to the to Washington the Justice, they kind of preferred this, as they were calling it, it was a zombie composition. But they were favoring Moira and Lucio more for the support lines. Personally, I think Moira is a very powerful support player. It gives you a lot of ability. It gives you a lot of sustain and a lot of aggression you can use. The only problem is that when it comes to, like, sustainable heals for your team, it's usually a little hit or miss. However, whenever her with her ultimate power and her ability to get out of danger, it makes it kind of hard that, well, it it basically makes it so you have to prioritize dealing with her and getting her out of the fight sooner than you might with other support characters. I mean, obviously you want to remove the support characters whenever you can, but making sure she loses her ability for her sustainability, it's, it's more prioritized when you're dealing with Amora than it is with the others and i think because they chose to run this moira lucio composition it gave them a it gave them the ability to have that high mobility high like a higher octane kind of uh playstyle almost where if we're talking about mobility wise the washington justice were more centered in they would slam into you really fast kind of like a rush composition but they had the ability to if need be they could backtrack and make adjustments and kind of dive a little bit when they needed to Whereas with the Houston Outlaws, their, their Zenyatta and Brig composition, it gave them some more support in the back line and it gave them a bit more damage. However, if their composition with their front line was working better, they probably would have the space necessary to survive in those situations. But unfortunately, that that weird composition they chose, which I'm sure was working very well before hero pools. It just it wasn't really kind of the mustard for this map. And I'll go on to say again, there's other, there's two other factors. And I think it really does come down to like it was, it was composition, the decisions they chose with their with their the roles side of the play, and probably their DPS lineup is really what made the difference for them. It's almost like they were beating them out in every Every way shape, and form. Like if it wasn't that they had a better composition, is that they had better players. And so, like if we break them down to those three positions, we got the DPS lineup, the tank lineup, and the support lineup. When it comes to the support lineup, I feel that they, they Washington Justice, made better choices for the roles they were playing. When it came to the tank lineup, they had a better main tank which allowed them to structure their play a lot better off of a very rock-solid pivotal point, so that's a sign of them having better players. And especially with their DPS lineup, I think this was this is where the Perfect Storm situation came from. Happy and Dante are both exceptional players. They're fantastic at pretty much any one of the roles that they're really good at. They are probably in the top... Top tier of the league. When you look at Decay and Assassin, Decay, despite being a exceptionally high-level player, is notorious for just having a really shitty attitude a little background decay was he was the cornerstone for the Dallas fuel before they became this monster powerhouse back when they're like in the toilet range with the Houston outlaws decay was one of their, their only really, really solid players. And he knew that and he knew it so much that he would refuse to practice with the team. And he basically knew that he, he felt he had a lot of leverage over the whole organization and ultimately he was proven wrong And they got rid of him because they couldn't deal with his personality. And in probably one of the better decisions to Washington Justice went and snatched him up in the 2020 season. And he was able to actually shine again and show that he is one of the top players in the league. However, since that point, I feel like he's been playing very inconsistently. And it could be, you know, maybe they're still dealing with his personality issues where he doesn't want to practice. He doesn't want to do anything. He only wants to show for games and matches. And they're just kind of tolerating him. I don't know what the dynamic is behind closed doors, so I can't really say for sure. But what I can say is that he has a tendency to be inconsistent. Sometimes he is that magnificent decay who is clipping heads and just pulling off these monster plays and just lifting the entire team up with him. And other times he's just like a mediocre DPS player. Well, for these matches, as he was playing predominantly Tracer, he wasn't that. He was actually living up to the decay of where where, the highlight reel level decay. And probably the biggest Cinderella story out of the DPS lineup was Assassin, who, if I I haven't been really keeping up with watching Justice, so I don't know for sure, but to my understanding, he was an embarrassment during the Countdown Cup. He was really underperforming, and he was almost, like, memed for how bad he was doing. But in this particular match, for some reason the stars aligned and he was in his amazing top form and performing beyond expectations and comparable to one of the best sombras in the league with Dante and actually beating him out in other fights. And I'll I'll say this, and this is probably where it's going to come down to between the two of them and why assassin kind of beat him. And this is probably a good, important lesson for a lot of people when it comes to, when it when it comes to sport, and I think this is one of those like this is one of those little nuggets I'll give you guys. So a lot of people just assume like if you're a top tier athlete, you're a top tier athlete because you know some somewhere between like, you know, you're you're really gifted, you're you have the natural attributes, you're mechanically skilled, and you're a big student of the game, which makes you good. And for more or less, that is true when you get to the top level of the pro levels it's kind of harder there's limitations to how good a human can be and with that in regards to that i'd say like if we were to put dante and assassin next to each other consistently dante is probably the better sombra dante probably is his reaction times a little better he's he's more consistent to make his shots he's maybe his spatial awareness is a little bit better than Assassin. And I think if we put them right next to each other, we'd probably see like there'd be a discrepancy with one of them would be would look really, really phenomenal. The other one looked pretty good, but not not fantastic. And I think it kind of showed in this match, especially because Dante pulled out some amazing plays despite them, you know, being on the losing side of things. But I think the way that Assassin was able to beat him was his understanding of the character of Sombra was just better there's something you you'll come to notice especially when you see these high level Overwatch players is that they can they they have to keep track of a bunch of things in the background of their head whereas like if feels is that like you know you're playing against a real person like you're on a field and you're playing across from someone you look for little body language like cues that either you're aware of or you're subconsciously aware of to know of how to react and when to react and when to be in the right place at the right time, you can kind of tell where someone's going to run to depending on, you know, the position of their body. Or sometimes in some cases, if they're going to be doing something, they look where, I mean, obviously like if it's a trick player or something, they have a tendency to look in the direction they're supposed to go. And then they go back to looking to wherever they're, they, they go back to looking at you or, or they, they try to trick you, with, with other you know manipulation of the body language like if if for instance um like some some strikers in in uh, martial arts will like they'll they'll shrug their shoulders a little bit and that small little shrug shoulder movement if you get baited enough you'll raise your arm up lowering your defenses for you to get hit somewhere else or like in, in wrestling it's another instance right you you kind of give a little like jump like you're 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 uh You flex to the guy to make him think like, oh, he's about to shoot him for a shot. So they react and they overcompensate and you capitalize on that movement. It's a little different in esports to the extent that most guys, they keep track of the amount of time. Like they have like a mental clock where they can just kind of tell like, okay, I just saw them use this ability. I'm going to just kind of start kind of counting in my head to know when this ability will come up again. They can tell from the sound on the map of what they're going to do. They can tell from like what the animation looks like for a certain move. They can tell it right as the animation starts, like right when the pixels start to shift, they re- they recognize that and they make that reaction. So in that regard, in the just knowledge of the character, I feel that that is where assassin was beating Dante. He just knew the character better. Dante might be able to play it better, but I feel Assassin's knowledge base of what makes that character was just more profound and more structured that it gave him the benefits to be able to defeat him when he needed to defeat him. So if you watch the match, there's a few instances where one of the pivotal plays on Anubis, I believe it was, where Assassin's ultimate, his his AOE hack, which disables everyone's abilities, him and Dante set it off at the same time and it's like nanoseconds of where assassin his goes off just a half second faster than Dante's does. And because his hack goes off and it hits Dante's character before his hack goes off, it cancels out his hack and ultimately just flips the tide for his team. And there's other instances as well where thanks to Assassin's knowledge of the character, he was able to find where Sombra's translocator beacon's at, and what for those people who don't know the game, the translocator beacon is a little like object that you place on the map that allows you to teleport back to it regardless of where you are across the length of the map, right? And that's one of Sombra's like special abilities. She's she's a hacker. Her job is basically to to flink. The opposing team hack them, make them lose their abilities, and when situations are dire, she'll teleport away, and it's kind of like this really annoying cat and mouse kind of situation. Well, assassin is so knowledgeable in that character, he more or less figured out where that translocator beacon was set up by Dante. So he would be in the backline hunting for his opportunities and simultaneously he would go to locations where someone would put that that beacon down he'd find it he'd destroy it thus making it so whenever Dante would commit to a dive or commit to go to commit to a fight he wouldn't have his ability to get out of that situation assassin just outplayed him in his best character and it also i mean it's not also to say it's not just on assassin either his support line was was pulling his pretty much the tank line the support line were doing their damnedest to keep him alive like they knew that this guy was the most pivotal thing on their team in order to secure the win because they were winning a lot of team fights because he was not only was he taking down pivotal characters when they needed to, when when they needed him to but he was also Screwing over Dante, so he couldn't capitalize on his best abilities either. But again, this is a guy that people were making fun of earlier in the season for just being like a really bad player. And for him to come into this match and just be beyond what they expected him to be just goes to show you the differences and the little, little changes you can make that can make someone who typically is considered by most people a bad player to being just utterly amazing under the right circumstances. Any athlete can transcend and become greater than what they are given, you know, if we say all things are normal. Like this is obviously hypothetical in a sense where these guys are at such a high level that they really just need a little bit of a bump to make them exceptional. And that's, that's one of the bigger takeaways in this one. And, and it sucks to see the Houston Outlaws lose, and I really do feel the combination of being on a losing streak, the combination of making the wrong decisions to play the wrong players. And that's not even talking about, like, if they had... I feel if they had their core roster of Dante, Happy, Jango, Piggy, Crimzo, and Juby, I honestly think this match could have gone a different way. Because that... At the beginning of the Overwatch League, the Houston Outlaws were very aggressive and very, very good at playing that death ball composition where everybody was playing off of each other in such beautiful, coalescing ways, where Crimzo was making these amazing shots and Dante and Happy were just picking people off from out, from around the corners. Jangu was making these, these highlight real quality plays and Piggy was just this this powerful off tank anchor that just gave everyone the ability to, to go off and do what they had to do while still providing that, that anchor, that focal point, that nexus in the center of their, their makeup. And I think, I think they, they, they moved away from that. And that's not trying to take anything away from the Washington justice because they were playing exceptionally well, but, like I said, I've been watching the Houston Outlaws all season. And I can tell you for a fact that this team that played against the Washington Justice isn't the best iteration that they've come. It's not the best iteration of the Houston Outlaws. And if we had a little bit of that spark from the start of the season, you'd be seeing them going to Hawaii right now to be in the playoffs. All right, guys, that's going to be it for this week's episode. I still don't know what we're going to do about this, this whole show. In the next coming month, because I believe the grand finals should be happening at the end of this month or early October. So it's probably going to give me like, you know, somewhere between one to two more shows this month before, you know, everything goes goes to the wayside. And I've been trying to figure out what I'm going to do, what I'm going to talk about. I've been kind of enjoying these, like you know, deep dives into the mental side of sports, and kind of try to give people perspective on what to expect in the future. Well, let's try to give you guys a perspective of that that sport mentality for people who probably aren't familiar with it, right? And it, it probably doesn't help that I've been watching, like you know, I've been watching a lot of Ted Lasso. If you watch the main podcast, um, I. I don't bring it, I've been bringing it up a lot, but I've been watching that show pretty, pretty religiously. I just started reading Atomic Habic, Atomic Habits by James Clear, I believe his name is. Yes, it is. I got it right the first time. Good on me. Don't have to edit this. And yeah, I'm, I've am i been looking into that kind of stuff a lot. So like I'm a little excited to give that sports perspective. Oh, and another book I just read actually that kind of relates to it is by Jonathan got Shaw, i believe it's called um let me pull this out without dropping my expensive camera uh the professor in the cage was which is a book about a a college professor who decides to be decides he wants to be an mma fighter and he got he, starts training and it's a very like anthropological book about you know man's relation into why why they're so fascinated by you know blood sports, combat sports, and and stuff in general. And it, it added a new perspective to my whole uh my whole sports gimmick that I got going on. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All the pertinent links are in the description down below. And hopefully I should be here for the next Fun Intended podcast next week. But we're going to see how that plays out. I might have a vacation coming up and I may or may not be able to attend. But besides all that, guys, I hope you enjoyed yourself and I'll see you next time. Bye.